You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So we're in Acts chapter 3, it's verses 11 through 26. It's the word of God to us this morning. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses." And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the Word of God for us this morning. Would you uh, join me in prayer? Father, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray, God, that You would give us ears to hear what You would say to us. And we ask, God, that You would speak. Nothing else we need other than to hear you speak to us. And so, God, we, we beg you to do that. We ask, God, that you would remove any spiritual hindrances in our hearts, in our minds, in this room, and that you would come by the power of your Spirit and help us to encounter you and to hear from you, to respond appropriately. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. This uh, passage um, comes directly on the heels of uh, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. In those verses, 
Um, a man who had been crippled for over 40 years um, was healed miraculously. He began to walk, to run, and to leap. It was a miraculous thing to behold, right? Think about it. In the blink of an eye, of 40 years of suffering and hardship for that crippled man were over instantaneously like that. God fixed the seemingly impossible in, in that moment. Miraculous. And word of that miraculous event just rippled throughout the temple and rippled throughout the streets of Jerusalem. And because of that, a massive crowd starts to gather. I think people are curious. They want to get in on the action. They want to see what's happening. This is a, this is a major event taking place, such as they had never seen. Once the crowd gathered, Peter, as we just read, stands up and preaches a sermon, basically. What he does, really, is he preaches a sermon from the Old Testament, because that's, you know, that's what they had then, the Old Testament books of the Bible. Preaches a sermon straight from the pages of the Old Testament. And really, I think the summary of what he says is simple. Hey, we didn't do this. <laughs> this had nothing to do with us. We didn't do this. Jesus did this. Jesus did this just as the prophets foretold. Therefore, you know what you ought to do? You ought to listen. You ought to repent. And in doing so, you'll be blessed. It's a simple message. Um, but it's a very powerful message. You need to think with me for a minute about um, what you listen to the most. You know, I get in my truck, or I get on my bike, and go for a ride, or go for a drive, and there's a few different artists I have on my uh, playlist that I listen to. And, you know, some of them are country. I don't know, for those of you who hate country, you can yell at me now or later. Some of them are more like a heavy kind of hardcore rap. Um, got some heavy metal in there. Um, I love listening to a variety of music. It depends on the mood I'm in, probably. Sometimes it's refreshing for my soul, right? Sometimes it just gives me energy to move forward. It's probably not unlike uh, most of the days that we all walk through. We uh, each have opportunities throughout the day to listen to different genres of voices inside our hearts and our minds, don't we? Sometimes those are encouraging good voices. We're reminded that God loves us, that God is with us, that God never leaves us or forsakes us, that, that what God says about us is true and cannot be changed. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's a voice of confrontation. Not a voice of condemnation. Maybe a voice of confrontation. A call to repentance, if you will. These are things inside of you that you're engaging in that you need to turn away from again. But maybe that's a voice you might listen to. These are, these are good, healthy voices to listen to. On the other side of that, there are voices that I think we listen to um, that can be very damaging and destructive and do not come from the mouth of our Father. Right? Shame. You're so worthless. 
Right? That's that's shame. Or you have or you have the voice of guilt. You don't ever do anything right. Why do you keep messing up like that? Maybe it's voices of hopelessness, right? Like the crippled man, I think there had to have been some hopelessness inside of him at some point. Wondering, will God ever step in and change this? Will he ever manifest himself in my life in a way that is powerful and and real, tangible? There are various different voices we can listen to throughout the day, and the question is, what voice have you been listening to lately? You know, I think of all of Jesus' interaction with his disciples before the book of Acts. You, know, you read the Gospels and you see Jesus saying powerful, powerful things. I think there was one time he, he called Peter Satan, didn't he? He's telling his disciples, hey, I'm, I'm going to be raised up on a cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave the tomb empty and they're going to murder me and Peter's, Peter's like, heaven forbid, Lord, that's not going to happen. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's <laughs> hey, a tough one. <laughs> but then, you know, you think about Peter, too, and after the resurrection, Jesus takes a walk with Peter and you know, asks him those kind of famous questions, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And he gives us some instructions. And each word for love is kind of compounded on top of the other. And the final one is the unconditional word, do you agape me? Peter keeps saying, yeah, you know I do. I think there was some restoration that was taking place in that moment. Because we know Peter denied Christ three times, right? It's interesting, when you look at the text, you you do see Peter using that word deny uh, twice in the earlier verses of what we just read as he speaks to the audience about their denial of Jesus. And I, I think that he, he has a bit of uh, credibility when it comes to what he's preaching because people knew. I, I think what he did was public. And it begs the question, who are we listening to? Right. I mean, it's interesting because you know that Jesus uh, warned Peter on the night before his death that this was going to happen. And yet he still did it. I mean, think about that. You have Jesus standing right in front of you in all perfection, been walking with him for three years. Makes me think you go all the way back to the garden. Makes me think of that episode too when God comes to Cain. Hey, what's going on with you? Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Hey, sin's coming after you. You better rule over it. Crouching around the corner trying to get you. Better not listen to that. And what does Cain do? <laughs> That's what most of us do a lot. It surrenders to that. Like a slave listens to that voice, ultimately then kills his brother. So the story of who do you listen to and who's going to rule over you and who's going to be your master, it's all throughout Scripture. It's that theme all through the biblical narrative. So here in this moment, Peter, John, they've, they've healed this man. Right? That, that's the way the story goes. God has healed this man through them. So the crowd gathers. Peter has an opportunity to speak. I mean, you think about what, what could you have done and what, what do some ministries do? <laughs> you know, in an instant, you got a pretty large crowd. We, we ought to take up an uh, offering so I can get a second jet. You know? If you've not seen those videos, you might want to check them out. They're out there. <laughs> 
He doesn't do that. He doesn't draw attention to himself. In fact, he tries to get the attention off of himself. Right? So the first thing he says is, hey, we didn't do this. Jesus did this. We didn't do this. Jesus did this. But Luke tells us in verse 11 that that previously crippled man, if you look at the text with me again, this previously crippled man, he could now miraculously walk, right? What's he doing? He's clinging to Peter and John tightly. It's a picture of like a child, if you think about it, when a child has walked through something tough and really hard and you bring a blessing into their life of some kind and they don't want to leave your side because you were the instrument of blessing in their life. You know what that's like, right? Maybe you even know what that feels like for you to be on that side of it, where it's like, man, my mom or my dad or this mentor or whoever it might have been, like they blessed me and they helped me and they stepped in. I want to stick close to them. That's where the blessing came from. It's cleaning to Peter and John. All the people are like absolutely shocked to hear and to see with their own eyes that this is taking place. This man who, who, who had this issue, wasn't able to walk, now he's walking, he's running, he's leaping. And so they, they come running to the temple. They want to get in on the action. They want to see it with their own eyes. It's like the circus came to town. Verses 12 through 13, if you look at it some more. Like I alluded to a little bit ago, and as we already read, Luke, uh, Peter doesn't try to take the attention for himself. He doesn't take the credit for himself. He doesn't turn the attention on the, even the ministry of the apostles at that point, or, or even the newly formed church that is forming in that area. He doesn't do any of that. Peter seizes the opportunity to preach. To preach a sermon that glorifies and exalts the name of Jesus above all other names. Why would Peter do that? And you think about it, man, we're like maybe 50-ish days, maybe 60-ish days removed from that moment when Peter denied Jesus. He's a totally transformed, changed man. He has the power of the Holy Spirit residing in and through him at this point. Peter knew Peter knew that, that he was only a mere man. He was a broken man, just like you and I. He didn't possess the power to do this miraculous thing. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work through him. And his message simply states that all over the place. He simply says, hey, we didn't do this. Jesus did this. Jesus is the one who made this crippled man walk and leap and run as he never had before. Jesus is the one whom the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, right? The heroes of the Israelite faith at the time. Jesus is the one whom they had all looked forward to. Jesus is the one who was raised up as a servant Messiah in fulfillment of the prophecies from Isaiah. <coughs> if you were to read Different passages in Isaiah, there's four different instances that talk about the servant Savior. And, and all of them point to Jesus. It's been foretold. And Luke is so careful to use that word servant, think twice in the text, to refer to Jesus. And Peter's saying, this Jesus, He is the one who did this miraculous thing. We didn't do this. If you look at verses 13 through 15, um, 
According to what Peter's saying here, is he's saying, hey, this Jesus is not only the one that is fulfilling all of that prophecy. He's not only the one that did this miraculous thing, but he's also the one that Peter's audience had completely rejected. They had delivered him over and denied him in the events of the crucifixion. That's a heavy accusation. See, Peter is not so much focused even on the miracle that just happened which can also be a pitfall for us as well when we start to focus on the things that God is doing rather than the God who is doing them. Instead of receiving Jesus as the one who holds the power over Satan, sin, death. Instead of receiving Jesus as the one who holds the power of eternal life in his, what I would say now, nail-scarred hands. Instead of receiving this Jesus, Peter's audience had denied him. <coughs> Peter's audience had denied him and had asked for a murderer to be released instead. And then they literally murdered the author of life. Which, which is something that is somewhat unexplainable when you think of the Trinitarian Godhead in, a, in that moment. Jesus being one part of that Trinitarian Godhead dies. There's a lot of theology that's been spilled on paper over what happened in that moment. <coughs> Some of it not so good either. <laughs> we know that Father, Son, Spirit... <coughs> Eternally connected, eternally coexistent, yet, yet Jesus died in that moment. <clears throat> there is a separation from all that is good, a separation from God Himself, the, the good presence of God that happens when one of us dies without first surrendering to God. In that moment, that kind of separation is an eternal thing for the person who dies without ever knowing God, without ever surrendering to Jesus, right? There is a sense in the death of Jesus in which he, he took and experienced in that moment something that I think is so far beyond our ability to understand. The idea and the concept that you would be completely separated from the loving presence of God, but instead be under the complete and perfect wrath of God. Not that, not that the presence of God is not present. It's that the loving presence of God is not present in that moment. Not surrendered. It's, it's a heavy thing to think about. They murdered the author of life. Jesus, the Jesus who did this miraculous thing, who made the crippled man walk, he made him to leap, made him to run. This Jesus didn't stay in the grave, right? And Peter goes right there. He didn't stay in this grave that was made by human hands that wound up murdering him. Verses 15 through 16, Peter simply says that even though his audience had murdered the author of life, God in His sovereign power, in some ways unexplainable to us, actually raised Jesus from the dead. And the man that they murdered who left the tomb empty, this man, this Jesus, 
The one who did this miraculous thing by causing this man to walk. It is by his name. It is through faith in his name, the name of the risen Jesus, that this crippled man is now walking and jumping and leaping in perfect health in the midst of the crowd. That's the message Peter is preaching. Jesus is the one who did this. We didn't do this. So that's the first thing Peter says. Jesus is the one who did this. <laughs> I think that in that moment, I think you could have heard a pin drop. I try hard when I'm studying to like close my eyes and imagine if I was in that audience and if I was one of those, what that would have been like. Especially when Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, speaks so boldly, and not, not just boldly, but specifically, about the sins of the people in his audience. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> like if somehow, uh, somehow I knew <laughs> all of your sin, and I, in this moment, was preaching, and I begin to speak about that sin very personally. And though I know many of you very well, um, I do know some of your struggles. We labor hard never to do that, right? And yet in this moment, that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's speaking very specifically about the sins in his audience. He's not glossing anything over. He's not excusing sin. He's not pulling punches to save the feelings of his listeners. He's not, he's not doing any of that. I would say after like throwing the, this uppercut in, in his in his, you know, his first point, I think he comes back with like a right cross. That's a left cross. Um, in, in his second point. Because in the second point here, he basically says, hey guys, like, yeah, we didn't do this. Jesus did this. And hey, by the way, all the prophets throughout all of history have foretold this. The prophets all throughout your history, the, the storybooks you've been reading in the morning and at night with your parents, and now you're older, they all pointed to this man, Jesus. And the crazy thing is, totally missed it. Most of Israel's population at that time had totally missed who Jesus was and what he came to do. And this is why Peter says, you look at verse 17, he says, Hey brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. You think about that word ignorance for a moment, and I really don't like to refer to myself as ignorant very often. I hope that you don't either. <laughs> it's really fun to refer to other people as ignorant, especially when they cut you off in traffic. Hey, you stupid ignorant. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's fun. It's just easy to do that, isn't it? Think about the ways that we are ignorant towards what God wants to speak to us, think about the ways that we are ignorant at times or have been ignorant at times of what God wants to do in and through us, or, 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 or how we kind of uh, turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the things He's calling us to because we have our excuses, we have our reasons, we, we might kind of justify them up from the excuse level to the reason level and say it's, it's not really an excuse, it's more of a reason, it's justifiable, right? Think of all those ways that we have a tendency to be ignorant um, towards what 
God is calling us to and towards what he's speaking to us and what we should listen to and what we should obey. You think of Israel's history at this point. All of Israel's history had pointed to one thing. It pointed to the apex of redemption in the person and the work of Jesus, right? Crucified, risen, and returning. And what was happening in these moments is that most of Israel had completely missed the whole story in their ignorance. They were looking back on centuries of history and prophetic messages and experiences. And in the person of Christ, they missed it. And instead, they murdered the author of life. And really, all they needed to do, right? All they needed to do is go back to the Old Testament and read their very own prophets. And you might remember that scriptures say things like, hey, you know what you did to your prophets? You plugged your ears and you killed them. All kind of pointing towards what was going to happen in Jesus. But really, this is exactly what Peter does, though. Peter does look back at the message of the prophets of old. When you look at verses 18 through 21, what does he do? He reminds his audience that Jesus suffered at the cross in fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Therefore, what should they do? They should repent. They should repent of their sin so that it might be erased. The the words Peter uses is blotted out. Blotted out in a much better way than you can ever do with a paper towel and dog urine on the floor. As repulsive as dog urine on the floor seems, I have two dogs and it drives me batty. You know what's more repulsive than that is your sin and my sin. And yet God, by the power of the cross, gives us something far more powerful than a roll of paper towels. As the scriptures teach us and tell us that as high as the heavens are above the earth and as far as the east is from the west, this is how far God casts our sins and our transgressions away. It's an infinite amount of distance. It's never to be seen again. Never to be brought up again. And you probably know what that's like, right? (laughs) If you're married or if you have a friend even, (coughs) if you've been in any long-time relationship with somebody, it's, it's easy for us in those relationships to go back to sins of the past, right? Especially when you're frustrated and you feel hurt again. We bring those up as though they weren't blotted out, as though they weren't forgiven, as though they weren't erased, as though they weren't taken off the chalkboard. There's some residue there, and so we go back to the residue of what was written on that chalkboard, and we start tracing those lines again. Right? We bring them back up out of the past. God doesn't do that. It doesn't bring up the sins of the past. They're gone. High as the heavens are above the earth, far as the east is from the west. This is how far he's cast it away from us. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, this is so much better than a whiteboard eraser or a roll of paper towels. He blots out sin. And he's saying, hey, if you would repent, your your sins would be erased. And what you would experience is refreshment. You know what refreshment is like? is When all this cold weather goes away, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, please bring the warmer weather and keep it here for once. (laughs) Like every Wednesday and Thursday it gets cold. What is going on? Refreshment is like those hot 115 degree days outside and you are parched. I grew up drinking out of a water hose on a farm. I'm still alive. Surprisingly, it's probably the reason COVID didn't take me out. (laughs) Probably all sorts of other reasons too, anyways. That's refreshment. 
He uses that word. Times of refreshing may come. Restoration. Think of an old car that's been beaten up, laying in a creek bottom. Worthless now, isn't it? Well, it depends on what kind of car it is. I really want the Dukes of Hazard car. Most of you know that. They're very expensive, but if you take that old rusty car up out of the creek bottom and you restore it, it takes a lot of work. To restore the value, this is what God does. When you and I turn and repent from our, our sin, and from our, our resistance against God, when we turn and we submit and surrender to Jesus at the cross and we trust by faith in Him, and His grace enables us to have a new heart, and to chase after him rather than to run away from him. It's in those moments we are completely restored. All value is restored. So you got refreshment, you got restoration of new life. Only Jesus can do this. There's, there's no other thing that will do that. No new marriage, no new car, no, no nothing. No possession, no better bank account will ever give you the refreshment and the restoration that Jesus gives. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, hey, the, the, the one whom you murdered with your sin. And I always love the analogy that really, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't alive then, but we all know that it makes logical sense to say all of us held the nails and the hammer that Jesus on that cross. All of us held the whip that beat him. All of us placed that crown on his head by our sin. We're all implicated in that. And he's saying, hey, the one that you murdered, he's the one who can take away your sin and restore your life. That's nuts. It's, it's crazy. The one whom you murdered is the very one who would give you eternal life. Peter's listeners need to understand this, right? They need to understand that Jesus is not just the hope of forgiveness for today. Think about this. Oh, oftentimes we approach Christianity and the message of the gospel and our reading of scriptures in this way that, that Jesus is the hope of forgiveness for today or, or fire insurance for tomorrow to keep us out of hell, right? They need to understand that he's so much more than that. That yes, that's part of it, but it's so much more than that. Jesus is our only hope for eternity. And I think it's hard for us to grasp the concept of eternity because we live here on earth where you can see and touch and taste and feel it. And you can't, it's hard to catch a vision of what heaven will be. Our eternal home that we're headed to. Saying Jesus is your only hope for eternal restoration. And the prophets have spoken about this. They, they proclaimed it throughout the centuries. Read the prophets, friends. It's what you'll find. All of Israel's history from the garden to the patriarchs, to the kings, uh, to, to their years in captivity, even to their years now in this story under Roman occupation. All of that history pointed to Jesus as the eternal Messiah who came to do what? Give you your best life now? There's something alluring about a best life now because we all want the great American dream, don't we? How does the great American dream go? I always say 2.5 kids. I still don't know who the half the kid is. Figured that out yet. Well, I have funny jokes. You stall garage. Best life now idea is I think the apostles would have laughed 
especially when you think about the way the apostles died for their faith. Right? How many possessions do you think they had? How wealthy do you think they were? How healthy do you think they were? Apostle Paul seems to speak of some things physically, I think, and emotionally that I think went with him to the grave. Jesus says to him, he prays three times, hey God, please take this from me, and Jesus goes, you know what? You need that thorn. Keep you humble. My grace is sufficient for you. All of history pointed to Jesus as the eternal Messiah who came to do what? Set the captives free. Give sight to the blind. Make the lame walk. And there's so many spiritual analogies that cover all of that because there are so many ways in which you and I are spiritually crippled and spiritually lame, spiritually deaf, spiritually blind. And you know, I, I heard one guy say that, you know, there's something about the difference between physical blindness and spiritual blindness. Physical blindness, you know you're blind. I've known a few blind people and they go, I'm blind. Oh yeah, you are, I can see that. Spiritual blindness, on the other hand, you can't see it. A spiritual blind person can't say, I know I'm spiritually blind about this. Because you, if you're spiritually blind, you don't know what you're spiritually blind to. Doesn't that sound hopeless? <laughs> like, how do you get out of that state? Jesus. Jesus speaks to you. The Spirit comes and gives you a new heart, a beating heart, one that's not no longer a, a heart of stone that's set against God, one that is now beating after God, has an ability to have faith in God. The author and the finisher of faith, Jesus himself, gives that gift to you. It's free. You don't work to earn it. <coughs> there is no special seance or prayer that you pray to get it. It's a condition of the heart. And only the Holy Spirit can give you that heart. Jesus does that. But Jesus does. The prophets have spoken about this all throughout Israel's history. And here, Peter is reminding them of that. What do you do at that moment? <laughs> You're in the audience. Right? You do. Jesus is the one who healed the crippled man. He's the one whom we reject and deny in our sin. The prophets have, have foretold that Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He, he gives the gift of everlasting life, right? He's the one who gives his own perfect life as a ransom for who? His, his friends, right? I mean, it's, I think about my family, seven daughters and a son, my wife, and if somebody tried to hurt them, I would willingly give my life or take life to protect them, right? Um, it'd be very hard to do that for somebody that was my enemy. So you flip that around. If the enemy comes into my home and kills my wife and my children, would I give my life for them? No. No, I would not. I don't think. <laughs> Jesus, that's what Jesus does. Gives his life, his perfect life, as a ransom for his enemies, for the ones who placed him on the cross. Why would he do that for his enemies? So that they can become family. And Peter knows this. Peter gets this. And this is why Peter tells his audience to do three things. Well, to do two things and receive one thing. Listen, repent, be blessed. He roots his final words in the text here in some of the most famous, some of the most respected prophets from Israel's history. He names them Moses, Samuel, and Abraham. 
He reminds them in verses 22-23 that Moses is the one who spoke about Jesus long ago. That Moses instructed them to listen to everything Jesus says. And I just want to ask you, like, how are you doing with listening to the words of Jesus on a daily? It's really easy to listen to a bunch of other genres when really the only genre we need to hear is Jesus. I'm terrible at this. I have to admit. Also warns them if they fail to listen. They fail to listen to Jesus and what's going to happen. They're going to experience eternal destruction. I think Peter actually really cares for his audience when he's saying this. I think he gets, I think he sees the picture. I don't think he wants that for them. It's a strong warning. If you don't surrender to Jesus, eternal destruction is what lies ahead. If you think that something in this life now is hard and difficult, eternity separated from God's goodness, living under the presence of his complete wrath, because you chose to reject the Jesus who took that wrath for you, so now you're going to get that wrath justified? The failure to listen to Jesus has eternal consequences. That's just the main message of the Scriptures all the way through. Peter takes us right there. But he also says, hey, if you listen to him, if you're listening to Jesus, that, that actually leads to repentance and actually leads to eternal blessing. And this is why Peter concludes. You look at verses 22 through 26. What does he say? He says that even Samuel and every other prophet has proclaimed this message has proclaimed this day. And he's, he reminds them that they're not, they're not only sons of the prophets. And that's interesting. He's like, hey, you, you guys are sons of those guys who spoke. You failed to listen to them. You failed to listen to Jesus. And you ought to listen to Him now. Because you're not only sons of those prophets, but you're also sons of Abraham. Now you know in kids' ministry we sing that song, right? Father Abraham many sons and I am one of them so are you because of the work of Jesus at the cross he reminds them hey hey you're sons of Abraham you know what that means here's what that means that means that, that you are actually meant you have a purpose for your life when God created you You have a purpose, and your purpose was to be a recipient of the covenantal blessings that God made with Abraham, simply that he would bless you and you would be a blessing to the nations, and that God would multiply his kingdom through you. You and I, and the Jews then, we are sons and daughters of that covenant if we have trusted in Jesus. We are now meant to receive the blessings of, of Christ, the, the promised Messiah. Part of that blessing is the ability to repent. You see, you think about repentance, it's not even something that you can actually muster up. Yes, it takes effort, don't hear me wrong. But even the ability to repent has to be somehow energized by, by some kind of perfection. And that some kind of perfection is called the Holy Spirit. It energizes our ability to continue to repent. And yet, we also come alongside and give effort to that. 
helps us to trust right, in the work of a crucified, risen, and returning Christ. And it's that, it's that prayer. Um, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I'm trusting you, God, with everything I got, but I don't feel like I have enough trust to trust you anymore. Please help me. And God steps in in that moment and gives you the strength to do so. You see, everything that's happening here in this text, it's not about the miracle. It's not about the man who couldn't walk and now can. It's really about Jesus. It's always all been about Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, you need to read the Old Testament with Jesus in mind. Because it's Jesus who is coming. That's the apex of the story. When you read the New Testament, you need to read the New Testament with Jesus in mind. Constantly. When you read the Old Testament, you're asking, Jesus, would you please speak to me through all the stories and the history, prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs and Psalms. Would you reveal yourself to me as I read and as I study? And the same in the New Testament. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me, your, your desires and your wants and how I can glorify you? Would you, would you reveal yourself to It's all about Jesus. Uh, one commentator, um, sidebar quickly, and I'll be done. Um, one commentator um, made a really good point about how we read the scriptures. But we don't, we don't actually read the scriptures well, most of us. Um, we, we kind of do the all open method a lot of times, you know. It's like, I'm looking for something to encourage me. I'm looking for something to encourage me. Oh, I don't really see it. Let me try this again. Blind eye. I'm looking for something to, oh, gosh, that works. That encourages me. Oh, thank you, Lord, for encouraging me. Do you get how selfish that is? <laughs> How self-centered that is. Actually, how sinful that is. Because to read the scriptures is not to focus on self, it's to magnify the name of Jesus. And in so doing, it's, it's a weird thing that as you have the name of Jesus magnified, you actually are encouraged. <laughs> um, and this is why it's so important just to start at the beginning of your Bible and just read large chunks. Just read a book a week. You might say, I don't read. Yes, you do. You read Facebook posts. You read sports stats. You read stuff on your TV. You do read, even if you say you don't like to read. You do. Um, don't let that be a, an excuse that you've now justified into a reason to not listen to Jesus through his word. I, I, when I say that to you, I'm saying that to me. Okay? And you too. <laughs> saying it to both of us. In conclusion, um, I think that if I was in the audience that day... Um, I think, think my heart would have probably been cut to the core. And maybe you can feel that even in the way that I'm working my way through the way I, I preach the message. As I, as I read this, as I contemplated and just prayed my way through it, I, I, I felt cut to the heart in my own life and in many ways. Um, <clears throat> I imagine uh, that moment of hearing about this 40-plus-year-old crippled man, right? He's, he's been healed. He's, he's He's running and jumping and leaping, and I'm now running over there. I want to meet the guys who did this miraculous thing. All I hear in that moment then is, hey, we didn't do this. Jesus did this. The one whom you rejected, he's the one that did this. You denied him. You murdered him. He rose from the dead. This is the fulfillment of all prophetic Israelite history and, and promises, covenantal promises, all coming to a point in Jesus. I grew up with my, my Israelite mom and dad reading me those stories and practicing this religious faith the whole time, right? And I totally missed it. 
Now, now I'm being told I need, to, I need to repent, need to trust Him for salvation. And I, I think that would have been a really heavy moment in hearing that. But you think about it, how, how refreshing, how inviting is it to hear uh, that, that even though you and I were responsible for the murder of Jesus in our sin, all you and I need to do is listen to Him. Turn the hearing aids up. My dad had hearing aids... Uh, for as long as I can remember. And uh, as he's progressively gotten older, the hearing aids have uh, ceased to work as well. And uh, so it's funny, if you're sitting on, I think it's the left side of him, my stepmom will, uh, will interpret <laughs> what people are saying off to his left because he'd just stare off in the distance, has no clue. But if you're on the right side of him, boy, he hears you loud and clear because that hearing aid works really well. Um, for me, it's a good analogy. I think I need both my hearing aids turned up. I need both my ears open so I can listen to Jesus and hear from Him. So I might walk in repentance, believe in Him, be, be blessed by Him e eternally. And this is what Jesus does. He does this today still. He makes the lame to walk. He makes the deaf to hear. He makes the blind to see. He gives brand new hearts where there once were hearts of stone. Every time an unbeliever comes to faith in Jesus, it's because that's what Jesus does. Right? Every time that a believer reads the Bible with a fresh hunger for God, this is something that Jesus does in us. And that, that's my prayer for us, is that God would do that for us this morning. Give us a fresh hunger and a fresh desire to hear Him and to listen to Him, because that's what Jesus does. Every time a person repents for the first time, or even for the millionth time, because it's not a one-time thing, it's because Jesus enabled that by the power of His Spirit. Every time a, a marriage is restored or an addiction is overcome or, or a hurt is healed or a hunger for God's Word is renewed, or even this, every time you get an opportunity to pray for somebody you don't know, you meet them in a parking lot somewhere, it's because Jesus did that. And I think it's because Jesus did this by the power of His Spirit, because of that, really should invite us and invigorate us to listen to Him more, to repent even more, and to walk in the eternal blessing that He gives us. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Ask God that You would come and continue to meet with us now as we spend our closing moments in song and worship to You through song. God, help us to listen to You. Help us to have a hunger to hear from You. We'll come and do a, a surgical work inside of our hearts and minds in these closing moments. I'd magnify yourself. God, we beg you to open up the blind eyes, open up the deaf ears, put the lame legs back together and help us to walk by the power of the Spirit in obedience to you so we might glorify your name among a, a perverse and wicked generation that we live in. We pray that you do that. We trust you. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.